Welcome to the ALN podcast series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. So uh, thank you again to our international speakers. And now we'll uh, transition into our uh, uh, Transportation Asset Leadership Roundtable. Um, which will be facilitated by uh, Mildred Chua Olger, who is on the ALN Board of Directors. She's an ALN Senior Fellow, and she's also an, the, AA, uh, the Institute of Asset Management Knowledge Leadership Group Lead, and she's involved in the Women of Asset Management, which is uh, part of the IAM uh, USA uh, group. And uh, importantly, she was uh, with the New York City Metropolitan Transit Authority for uh, 34 years. Uh, Amy Lindblom will also uh, be joining. She's involved in the uh, IAM. She's the uh, North American uh, uh, Women in Asset Management Chair, and she's the president or the chair of the IAM US, in addition to being director of asset management for Sound Transit, which is the transit administration around the Seattle area. And Robert uh, Radovanovic, who has many hats, including uh, branch manager at Calgary Engineering at uh, McElhenney. Uh, and he is involved in the University of uh, Calgary, uh, where he's an adjunct professor and is working with the ALN to start talking about a higher education uh, Asset Leadership Board to try to help uh, coalesce a curriculum for the world, make it easy for universities all over to start up an asset management program. And we also have uh, Alexa Braun, who is Vice President and uh, Operations Leader of Strategic Consulting in North America. And I will hand things over to Mildred to uh, help uh, the discussion continue on uh, transportation. Um, hello, I, I can't seem to start my video, so um, somebody can help me. Uh, well, if you okay, would start my video, let me just see here. There, there you go. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you and welcome to our transportation roundtable. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to really facilitate this. Um, we have our panelists here um, and we will have them introduce themselves um, as they make some statements that we will use for discussion. Um, I just wanted to start out by saying that we are, you know, operating under the backdrop of a historic investment um, in our transportation assets uh, with the IIJA or the infrastructure bill. and. Um, it is, it is really an exciting time, um, but there are so many challenges that are facing transportation organizations today um, that um, 
could constrain them in terms of how they're able to maximize the value that they're going to derive from those historic investments. And so what we wanted to do is focus our conversation on how asset leadership is really a key enabler uh, to getting these organizations ready and prepared um, to receive the funding, to implement these historic investments and really achieve uh, resilient, sustainable um, infrastructure uh, for future generations to come here in the United States. So I'd like to just start by, um, rather than talking about what some of those challenges are, um, I think it will be great to just dive into the discussion by starting with um, Amy Lindblom, and then we're going to go around Robin to, to sort of hear your thoughts and your perspectives on what are some of those challenges, um, and then how you think um, asset leadership is is really a key enabler to, to addressing those challenges um, moving forward. Amy. Thanks, Mildred. Um, so yes, Amy Lindblom with um, Sound Transit and the IAM. Um, just a little bit about Sound Transit. You know, As Mike mentioned, we are the Regional Transit Authority in the Seattle, Washington area. We serve three counties around Seattle. Um, and we have uh, an, an incredible amount of expansion happening within the region. We're quintupling our transit system over the next 20 years. So um, when, it, when we're talking about asset leadership and, and the, the difficult trade-off decisions that organizations have to make, we are for sure in the thick of it. Um, before I joined Sound Transit, I, um, I was one of the strategic asset managers at Pacific Gas and Electric in the Bay Area of California, um, which was a very different type of organization. If you can imagine, um, it's 180 degrees from, from Sound Transit. So, um, so, and I, I bring that up because I think that um, the, the leadership principles, the asset management leadership principles that exist at Pacific Gas and Electric, um, you know, are necessarily very different, but fundamentally have to be the, the same, you know, thinking about how do we deliver value to our communities? Um, you know, the, the decision-making, um, processes and leadership are very um, embedded at Pacific Gas Electric um, versus the organization at Sound Transit where we're still, you know, growing and, and learning um, who we are as an organization, what it means to be a transit agency, um, and what leadership principles we need to have in place in order to ensure we're delivering value for our communities. Um, I think for me, one of the things that I, I think is really important when we're talking about asset leadership um, again, kind of taking from, from my experience, both at Pacific Gas and Electric and Sound Transit, is that as human beings and certainly as infrastructure organizations, we have a bias toward building new things. We like shiny new things. We like to cut ribbons. It's really exciting. I like new things too. Um, and that's, that's further incentivized oftentimes by um, our funding mechanisms, what, what transportation organizations can get funding for is oftentimes building new things. Um, not always, but, but oftentimes that, that is the case. And in, in my experience, sometimes building new things can actually compound the problems that organizations are trying to solve by building new things. Um, so, so to speak more specifically, um, we really do need to take a look at how we need to invest or reinvest 
in the stuff we already have? How can we make the, the infrastructure we already have in place um, deliver more value for our communities? What does value mean for our communities? And really understanding that and using that as a place, um, as a basis, as a jumping off point for our decision-making about um, how, we, how we choose to invest in our infrastructure. Sometimes that means that um, we, we choose to not build something new. We choose to reinvest in something we already have, or perhaps that even means that we remove some infrastructure that's been in place and isn't, isn't providing value to the, to the community anymore and is maybe even reducing value in our communities. Um, some of the great work that you know, we've, we've all seen recently about removing some old interstates that really have torn communities apart they're not, they're underutilized. They require a lot of reinvestment. Um, so for me, asset leadership is really starting from a place of value for communities in a sustainable way, listening to our communities um, and, and coming from a place where we're, we understand and quantify what, what does that investment look like for all of our options. Um, rather than choosing an option and then quantifying what the, what the whole life cycle cost of that option would be. Um, so again, yeah, focusing on value for communities, keeping an open mind. Um, and I think, you know, for decision makers or policy makers, let's think about incentivizing a broader set of options so that, and incentivizing really better outcomes for our communities. Uh, thank you. Um, what I wanted to do is sort of get uh, a reaction from uh, the other panelists. And then at the same time, if you could introduce yourself to uh, give a little bit of a background. So I'm going to go next to Robert and then Alexa, and then I'll move on as well. Okay. Hey, everyone. My name is Robert Radovanovich. Um, I'm the engineering manager for McElhaney in Calgary. And uh, as was mentioned, I'm also a adjunct professor at the University of Calgary and at the University of Calgary, we're actually right now setting up an asset management for sustainable, uh, sustainable infrastructure program, which is really, uh, really exciting and trying to bring AM courses to university level students. Uh, I really agree with Amy's uh, note about like, we don't remove things as people, right? Like humans are adders we're never subtractors and uh and it's really crazy because when you think about it you know we teach grade school kids um that it's all about reduce reuse recycle and we kind of emphasize that like the most impactful part is actually reducing right you don't worry about recycling try to reduce your consumption is the first thing and and it's spot on this concept that you know, one example I always use is of gravel uh, back alleys versus paved back alleys, right? In one of our courses, the first things we talk about is, hey, would you rather have a paved back alley or a gravel back alley? And everyone says, oh, of course, I'd rather have a paved back alley because a paved back alley is clean and I can play street hockey in the paved back alley. But back alley is not actually for hockey. In Canada, we use it that way. The back alley is actually to access your garage and to like put your utilities in. And when we start to look at a level of service, 
a gravel back alley accomplishes 95% of what a paved back alley is, but has a massively lower life cycle cost as far as, you know, operations and maintenance, patching, renewals, that type of stuff, right? So we, we just don't think about things in that holistic life cycle framework. And I think that's where asset management leadership really comes to the fore is being able to have these conversations with stakeholders about, yes, psychologically, your gut tells you that a new interchange is great, or we need a shovels ready uh, water treatment project. But do we really need that to actually make an impact in our in the way that we're living in our communities? And I think that one of the really interesting things about asset management is right now, everybody's talking about sustainability. Sustainability is the, the biggest thing, sustainability and ESG. And sustainability is kind of a nebulous concept. But at the end of the day, when you really think about it, asset management is a tangible, if unglamorous pathway to sustainability, right? There's nothing more sustainable than not building something new or extending the life of what you currently have. Um, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, the United Nations, of course, has their uh, sustainable development goals and they kind of identified, I think it was three years ago that, you know, 95% or so of those goals have an infrastructure um, component. And they've even started to now release, for example, a handbook for local government on how to implement asset management practices. Like there's a, a real dawning realization worldwide that asset management's the foundation for sustainability. And I think as asset leaders, we really have a, a strong role to play in, in helping folks kind of navigate through that, you know, what wouldn't necessarily be an intuitive approach um, to building out their, their infrastructure base. Well, thank you. Um, Alexa, do you have any thoughts on, um, on what Robert and Amy had, had talked about? Yes. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you again for, for having me today and, and for everyone that's on uh, uh, the panel today and, and joining the panel discussion. Uh, thank you very much. And my name is Alexa Braun. I'm from Jacobs. And, uh, and just to kind of give a quick background on Jacobs and who we are, we're a global professional services company that's really focused on providing solutions for a more connected and sustainable world. Um, and with that, I lead our strategic consulting practice, which is very much focused on how do we help our clients think about the challenges that the, the very you know, multifaceted challenges that they're facing today, and really think about um, the, the opportunities, the lens of risk that we need to be assessing um, new, uh, new investments by, but also thinking about how do we help them enable to achieve their overall outcomes or visions for their communities so that they're making a more sustainable and um, positive impact on the world. Um, I'm really particularly excited to be here today because we're actually partnering with the Global Infrastructure Hub um, to develop a series of papers that are exploring what it's going to take for programs and, to um, programs and projects to deliver what we're calling transformative outcomes as it relates to future infrastructure spend. And I think what we're starting to see is this shift 
of looking at infrastructure as just providing one kind of impact on our communities. Um, typically in the past, that kind of impact had been looking at economic development or providing immediate jobs and obviously repair and replacement of infrastructure that was already pre-existing. Um, and so now we're starting to look, and I think our communities are starting to expect more holistic solutions as it relates to what does that infrastructure look like? Does it actually need to be there as Amy mentioned previously? Um, but also what does it look like from a resiliency um, uh, perspective? Also, how does it potentially connect our communities and improve our community communities from a social value perspective? Um, so to me, this is uh, exactly spot on is we need to be shifting the lens in terms of how we actually evaluate future infrastructure spend to have a much more multifaceted approach to thinking and evaluating what that concept of risk is, as well as also what is that concept of, um, of opportunity and benefit to our communities so that we're having a much wider view of what do we look, how do we really transform our communities looking at this particular infrastructure spend? Um, I'll give a quick example of a project that we were also involved in, which is um, at Tyndall Air Force Base. Um, and this speaks exactly to what Amy was speaking of, which is um, Tyndall was affected um, pretty significantly by Hurricane Michael um, several years ago. And a, a significant portion of the, of the infrastructure of the base was impacted. And so they hired Jake gets to really look at what is the base of the future? What, how can we create a Tyndall um, Air Force Base that's much more resilient um, when future storms, future hurricanes come in? And what we did is we actually looked at where the future of infrastructure should be placed and where it should not be placed, as well as what are potential nature-based solutions that we could be using to help minimize the overall impact of um, these kinds of storms coming forward. So the recreation um, of new dunes, uh, revegetation of those dunes as well. So a wide variety of different types of opportunities that actually don't cost as much to invest in, to create, um, also to maintain. Um, and we're also mitigating and creating increased resiliency for future infrastructure investments that are happening at that base. So a great example of kind of where we actually looked at removing infrastructure um, in order to make a more resilient um, Tyndall Air Force Base of the future. Oh, thank you so much. So what I would, I would like to say is that um, there is um, the opportunity here for asset management to become sort of better understood in terms of that holistic way that it that it enables organizations to actually make better decisions because legacy organizations, I mean, they have assets, right? They have legacy assets. And then right now everyone is on a path to transforming, uh, adopting digital transformations, which means their assets, you know, you have two categories of assets, so to speak, that, that you need to plan for, operate, maintain. And so through a strategic asset management planning process, you know, you can create those strategies because those strategies um, are going to be different. They are, they have the same owners, right? Um, they serve the same communities, 
but they need to be better integrated in terms of that planning process. And I think that's where I have seen, anyway, some, some agencies are already moving in that direction wherein they have a strategy for their legacy assets, you know, rehabilitate, repair, replace. And then there is, you know, smart infrastructure, we're going to build new rail cars, we're going to build new roads, new bridges, you know, and what does that look like? And, and they're, they're going to be embedded with all the right tools and technologies, right? But the, the way that you would um, produce your strategic plan to manage them over their life cycle is going to be very, very different. And eventually, you know, what you would have is um, a very, very integrated strategy, right? Um, so what I'm hearing is in order to, to really get at that sustainable, resilient infrastructure, right, that is equitable, that serves the communities, right, with all those great transformative outcomes, it really starts within organizations to really um, have better planning processes, have the leadership be really understanding of what the challenges are, and then what, what they can do to help, you know, bolster the asset management principles as, as part of the mindset and culture of organizations. Um, and, and I think all of you have touched on that uh, in, in different ways. Um, so asset management though, you know, when you, when you try to put together these plans and so forth, you know, there are a lot of standards, you know, there are a lot of things we have to comply with and, and that overall management systems approach, which is what ISO promotes, ISO 55,000 and all the other ISOs, um, is, is something that, that is concrete and, and it, it, it sort of becomes that universal language for, for, for management, right? Um, the, the challenge though that I'm seeing is that not you know, all organizations are different and it's not a one size fits all. And so at what level do you dial up and down in terms of uh, putting in place your, your processes, right? On, on, on how you're going to be efficient and effective in, in, in managing your asset base. And I, and I wanted to ask Robert to talk a little bit more about that coming from you know, from academia um, and in terms of like, how, how, do we, how do we develop the knowledge and the standards and, and, and making it available and yet allow for that flexibility uh, for different types of organizations, different sectors to actually adapt, uh, but achieve the same outcome, which is the outcome that we all promote for in, in ISO 55000. Yeah, for sure, Mildred. Like, <laughs> I think that uh, you bring up a really good point, right? Um, a lot of times I think that asset management fails due to an overabundance of good intentions. Uh, everyone gets really enthusiastic about, we're going to do an asset management plan. This is going to be awesome. I assume it's going to take 12 hours. Um, and then reality sets in and the lack of enthusiasm of actually this continual improvement program, uh, program happens. Um, Mike's used to this. I'm just going to uh, actually share my screen here briefly. And um, so what y'all should be seeing is a little um, diagram of policy drives process. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So uh, it's interesting. So Chris uh, had presented earlier today about the situation in Ontario, how Ontario actually passed a regulation uh, on a requirement for municipalities to have asset management 
uh, plans in place by certain dates. And, you know, I think one of the really interesting things that we're seeing coming down the road is we're starting to have job creation acts, we're starting to have acts about investing in infrastructure, and then we're starting to actually create regulations that often encompass a requirement to, you know, create an asset management plan or to develop some sort of accountability around how are we going to spend these dollars that are being provided by the federal governments, right? And in Canada, it's very often around the gas tax, the federal gas tax and access to to that. Now, what I've got here is, you know, at the top, the driver very often is these acts and regulations. We know that asset management's a good thing to do. But at the same time, I also know that going to the gym every day for half an hour is a good thing to do. But until my doctor says, hey, Rob, you're going to die if you don't do this, I kind of don't start doing the practices that I actually know I should be doing. So we got these acts. They say, make sure you have an amp. However, that no one knows what that means when it comes down to the regulation. And, you know, Chris did a good job of kind of pointing out that, you know, in a lot of these jurisdictions, you end up with municipalities, for example, or transportation agencies kind of getting into a checkbox system of saying like, okay, cool, we've got an amp. Um, we try to get to some minimal viable product. And very often what will happen is, you know, you're the a chief administrative officer for a municipality or your director of transportation or a deputy minister or whatever it is. And you're like, okay, you know, I looked online and there seemed to be some international standards. We're going to write this saying that, you know, your amp needs to be in accordance with ISO 55,000 or, um, you know, uh, we recommend that it's in accordance with some sort of ASTM standards if we're looking at, uh, at transportation uh, pavement condition inspection. And so you've got these international standards then that become the go-to references for things to consider when you're making an amp or best practices for putting together amps and processes. And I'd kind of, before folks start, you know, hammer chatting here about the, the double I, double M is not a standard, but a guideline, I get it. It's just though, again, a commonly used reference when people say, how am I actually going to put together this asset management process. But I think again, we often end up in troubles when we just purely rely on the standards, right? Because the standards aren't calibrated for the particular local situation. And again, this is where leadership and expertise becomes so important because that's where you have people who have local knowledge that actually talk about how are we actually going to do this in this specific situation, right? And how do we get that? Well, that's why we have to develop these knowledge networks. We need to increase asset management education at the professional and at the like university and polytechnical and college level, right? We need case studies where we can exchange like, hey, this worked here, this didn't work here. And of course, we need to rely on the experts actually making the call. I think in pavements is one of the really interesting examples of this. Because if I say, hey, I need a pavement asset management plan, you know, the first thing people go to is say, okay, well, I've got ASTM E1777, uh, so I've looked at that, and that just leads me to a proliferation of other standards on how am I going to measure the condition of my pavements, right? I'm going to look at IRI, PCI, there's an alphabet soup of different rating systems for pavements. And some of them end up leading me down very technical, very sophisticated methods of assessing the condition of, um, of pavements. On the flip side, 
We also, then I'm going to end up with ground penetrating radars, scanners, camera systems, driving down the highway, collecting hundreds of thousands of miles of data to, you know, apply machine learning to. But on the other hand, I might also assess my pavements in a local community using a one to five scale, or if I'm on Australia, a five to one scale um, of like good to bad and what's the ride comfort level. This is where the expert becomes important. This is where the leadership comes because as a really interesting case study that I came across recently, you know, there's a small town of a hundred people uh, that recently had put out an RFP for a uh, infrastructure study, a pavement um, capital plan. And part of the RFP that had come out of this small town is, you know, we're going to need to assess the roadways uh, in accordance with ASTM D6433. Um, you know, we want to make sure that you're coming out and you're doing all your crack measurements, your IRI, um, you know, get the roughness data from an accelerometer equipped truck. But when we went out to actually do the the walk around prior to RFP here, well, the roads in the whole town are all gravel, right? Like what had happened here was there was a failure of leadership because somebody who was in procurement in this, uh, in this community had gone through, they were trying to comply with a regulation. Oh, I need to do this study. I've gone out and I've found that these are these standards, but the standards being applied to the situation must have been done without, you know, a trusted advisor who's saying, hey, folks, in your particular situation, this is actually um, what we need to, to do. And so I think, again, like this comes back to asset leadership is really about then helping communities as we start moving forward in terms of making asset management an ubiquitous practice and making sure that it's also an appropriate practice based on the community needs in, in a particular locale. Yeah, thank you. Because I, I think that standardization is, is, is a challenge in itself, right? So within organizations, I mean, I, I remember that, you know, establish, uh, establishing a standard for one sub-organization or department, right? Is, is, is already a challenge to try to get it to be aligned with the rest of the organization, let alone uh, multiple international standards that are out there. And so at the end, I think it is really truly about saying, here's the outcome that we want. So we want the scale, you know, have really good definitions, right? In, in terms of what it means to you as an organization. So you can then better manage based on how you define those parameters. Um, because right now, a big challenge is really that even internally, you do not have consistency across different disciplines or different uh, thoughts and perspectives within an organization. So you, you need to get to at least one song sheet first um, for you so that you can be more effective at, at you know, your own, your own processes. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's what I think. And that, that was like, constant when I was working for a large transportation agency I was actually always trying to figure out how do I standardize and align all of these things and it's not an easy task and so you do need strong leadership to really be there with you to say yes I'm, we're going to help you define what that is that we believe you need to hit as a target right and from there we're going to help you define um, what that means. Um, so 
So I hear you, Robert. Thank you so much. And that was great that you were able to show all that. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts, um, Amy or Alexa. Yeah, I'll jump in really quickly. And I think just to reemphasize, you know, both the ideas that you, Mildred and Robert presented is the idea of what's the why <laughs> behind yeah doing this activity, right? What, why do we need to collect this? What is it, what kind of information is it going to give us? What is that, is that decision that's ultimately going to be made by analyzing that data, is that going to change or answer the question that we're ultimately looking for? How's it gonna change our community at the end of the day? And I think if we start to flip um, some of these actions on its head in terms of, you know, why are we doing this? What do we want to achieve? And really starting with those larger outcomes, we can start to then define, well, what is it we then that we then need to do? What is the data that we need to collect? And then how do we actually collect that? Because to Robert's point, there are all these different ways of going about doing it, but it might not be relevant to the questions that you're trying to answer as an organization, nor might it not matter for, frankly, long-term, um, uh, you know, kind of maintenance and strategies of that data or, or longer term implications to improvement on the business processes um, that you have within your organizations, the types of decisions that you're trying to make within your organizations. And so I think if you can start with that, um, you know, with that overarching uh, kind of background of what's the why behind this activity, I think that is just so hard, but it's so important that we think about it. And that I think, again, is so it, it, it ties back to why asset leadership is so fundamentally important and a, it really has a profound impact in terms of what organizations do, but also ultimately kind of the impact on the communities that they're making and ultimately the spend that they're making on uh, future investment priorities, as well as um, the outcomes that that ultimately results in. So I, I, I want to ask the question, um, Alexa, you know, organizational transformations, which is what a lot, I mean, most organizations, private or private sector, are actually post-pandemic recasting re their operating models, right? And for an asset-intensive organization, like in the transportation sector, I mean, obviously, asset management is a key component of that, I, I believe, anyway. Um, what, are, what are you seeing in terms of, of um, the organizations that you've worked with or that you are working with uh, in terms of their challenges, um, in terms of you know, how are they building the capacity, the capabilities, right, to, to respond to the, you know, SDGs, for example, um, or, you know, IIJA and get ready for that. Um, what, are, what are you seeing? And, and, and how do you think, I mean, um, what can we do then with leadership, right? Um, because they, I've seen leadership training programs, for example, um, that, that really focus on asset management to help leaders understand that asset management is not this technical operations and maintenance and engineering type of discipline that is actually strategic, right? Um, so that's, I kind of wanted you to elaborate a little bit on that um, to see you know, where, where we take this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, happy to do so. Um, so I think, you know, kind of going back to one of the points I was making kind of at the beginning of the conversation, which is the expectation of our 
communities and other organizations that are going to be um, prioritizing infrastructure spend um, is much more diverse in terms of what we're looking for in terms of impact than it ever has been before. And so again, the expectations are not only economic development, but it is how does this improve resiliency? How do we respond to issues and concerns of sustainability? How do we respond um, to uh, questions and concerns related to social equity and social value? So what that means is a much more integrated and holistic systems thinking approach to grappling with these infrastructure challenges and how do we actually start to prioritize investment, um, investment spend. You contrast that with many of our in uh, many of our organizations, which tend to be much more siloed in their approach, right? You've got, you know, kind of the, the O&M kind of, uh, you know, kind of organization, you might have, uh, you know, kind of here's the, you know, kind of the, the road and track uh, um, type of part of the organization, you might have the energy part of the organization, then you have your, you know, you've got obviously the C-suite up above, but you've got finance in another realm, you've got the environmental folks, you know, kind of sitting in another, um, you know, kind of part of the organization. And so the way we've structured our organizations, you know, and I would say this is across different market sectors, but it's it's a theme that we see pretty consistently across many of our clients is that it has been very siloed in terms of approach. You know, each of those organizations, they have their own mission um, and they have something that they need to be responding to. But if we really are going to create transformative outcomes in our communities, we need to start to bridge those divides that currently have and start to bring much more diverse and holistic teams together. Um, and what we're seeing is that that takes a different type of leadership to be able to recognize um, that we do need to have representation from different departments to be part of the question about infrastructure and investment spend, where that infrastructure is going, is that actually a valid type of infrastructure to be putting in place again? Maybe it was three years ago when we were originally thinking about it, but maybe it's not anymore. So a, a trusted environment is also really important to be able to enable that kind of diverse um, uh, set of constituents within an organization. And as well, I would say having some community stakeholders are, is an important aspect to have folded into those kinds of dialogues as well. But having a trusted environment where you can, you know, kind of push back and challenge some of those ideas of what maybe has, you know, maybe what has an organization thought of in the past. Um, and I think that's, to, uh, you know, that to me is something that's really important. Uh, you know, the other element that I will just say that's been interesting as we've kind of both through, gone through this partnership with the Global Infrastructure Hub is looking at leadership characteristics and qualities of the types of um, the types of leaders that are going to be potentially more effective in trying to bring together these types of diverse teams. And, and first, it's, you know, having somebody that can really be clear in terms of the value and the why between what are the overarching goals are of the organization, um, being more entrepreneurial as well, and being able to think and set up a structure that's going to be more agile 
agile um, and, and responsive to the need, whether it's from a resourcing perspective or even from a business process and decision-making perspective, I think is another um, aspect. And um, being also, you know, being willing to bring in tools and technology and learn from that in order to also um, be able to um, be responsive to the amount of time that these kind of infrastructure programs take. You know, oftentimes they can be really quick. So how do we how do we respond to that? How do we mobilize um, uh, and and support project teams, but ultimately give the vision um, at a much more kind of C-suite level of an organization of where do we need to go? And I think if I could have my rathers, <laughs> I would want to see um, you know kind of asset management sitting at the level of the C-suite um, because it is so fundamentally important in terms of, you know, kind of all the other, um, how interconnected it is across all of these different departments, but ultimately how it can transform our communities and our organizations. I, I, I love what you just said that asset management needs to really be its own function at the C-suite level. Um, because I think in other countries where you have more mature organizations doing asset management, you do see that representation, right? And, and any attempts to actually build that is, is, I mean, it's very, very challenging because, um, you know, as you said, the siloed way of thinking, the culture, which is very siloed, you know, everyone is an expert in their own silo, in their own tower, right? Asset management cuts across. And so whoever that C-suite leader is, is going to have to be seen as an expert in all of these things. Otherwise, you don't get that trust. You don't get that credibility. And the pushback is always there. It's like, you know, if, if it was a finance person that was leading asset management, it would be like, what do you know? I mean, you know, we engineers, we have all these things to do. Or if it's the other way around, you know, the finance people are like, I don't really understand what you're trying to do, right? So, so I, I'm happy to hear you say that. Um, I think um, asset information, which is a key, key piece of asset management in order to do it well, you really need to have good asset information and data. And I think we've all touched on that is, is, is another function that I think in organizations, right? Um, some mature organizations are already defining, you know, chief data officers that actually look at um, data as a whole across the entire organization. And if you are an asset intensive organization, data, you know, asset data is going to be even more and more important because everything sort of attaches to your assets because your assets from there is what you use to deliver your services um, to your customers. And therefore, you know, you're going to begin to, to have to, to build that, that data framework. And that requires asset leadership. Again, um, my experience has been, you know, super challenging to also put that in place because everybody, again, owns their data and everybody is an expert in their particular data sets, sets of data. So um, how do you think then, um, and I'm gonna post this to the panel, you know, wh where do we start? I mean, we could start in, 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 in universities, right? And, and start sort of infusing curriculums with, with um, that, you know, asset management way of thinking uh, and, and embed that in the coursework, but even within organizations, um, you know, and, um, one of the things that we could do is how do you foster that continuous improvement uh, mindset, right? That's underpinned by asset management. 
Um, and I, I want to ask whether, I mean, Amy, I don't know, I don't want mean to pick on you, but um, does Sound Transit have anything like at the operational level that sort of helps integrate it across, you know, like a continuous improvement program, a capability building program, wherein it, it actually does grow your asset managers um, in the organization? Yeah, so at Sound Transit, we have a, a few different things in place that, that get at what you're talking about. Um, we do have a continuous process improvement program um, that is staffed. In addition to that, we have a knowledge management learning community. I think the most important thing that underpins all of that is um, psychological safety and the emphasis we have had on making folks feel safe to fail in public and that that's okay, and that that is part of the learning process. That's just part of business. I, I think, um, yeah, that's that's really what underpins any sort of continuous improvement effort. Without that, it's you're only going to be scratching the surface of improvements. Right, right. Um, Robert, is there anything from the academic perspective? Uh, what is happening that you know, that would help us sort of grow the future leadership and asset management? Um, well, yeah, so I think a couple interesting points that have really kind of been been brought up a number of times in the discussion today is, is first of all, this idea that like asset management is really a holistic practice. And I think that that makes it really challenging to teach at the, like in an engineering uh, discipline, for example, right? And I, you know, that's one of the big reasons that at the University of Calgary, we're trying to create this asset management curriculum arc and kind of this, this research cluster around it, because asset management is notoriously bad at having a home. Um, does it belong in finance? Does it belong in management? Does it belong in uh, land use planning? Um, you know, if you ask any of us, we all generally fell into asset management somewhere along our career almost accidentally and you just find yourself in this practice right and that ends up turning into a, like a really weird situation because if you ask any asset management practitioner well how do you how would you train an asset manager the answer is always like well make them work for 15 years and all these different things and that's the only way we can't we can't afford to wait 15 years for everyone to start to become AM aware. Um, and so that's again, why we really feel it's important to start exposing students early on. Uh, one of the hardest concepts to teach engineering students in these uh, asset management con uh, courses is the whole concept that there are no right answers, right? Engineers want to come at this thing and say, okay, you know what? The expected life of a piece of pavement is 32 years, regardless of situation, that must be the expect. What do you mean it depends on how often you're driving it or the local climate factors or how much resiliency you want to build into it? And so it's encouraging that fuzzy thinking in our upcoming generation of asset management practitioners that is the real challenge. And the other one, we've talked about stakeholders, right? Engineers are notoriously poor at thinking about stakeholders we were problem solvers so tell me what the problem is generally i'll add something to solve the problem we're not good at second guessing and going like is that really what you mean is this really what you need and that level of service determinations 
the key second part that we need to really foster in this next generation of asset management leaders is you've got to be asking, right? Like a huge, huge emerging issue is demand for local engagement, right? And we do a lot of work, for example, with Indigenous and First Nations um, communities. And in there, a lot of our sort of inherent assumptions about level of service and how uh, community services should be delivered just don't work, right? So as asset management matures as a practice, it's going to really have to focus on, as I say, these appropriate local applications. No, thank you for that. And I wanted to add to that the connected systems thinking approach, right? You mentioned stakeholders. It's like if, if everyone, regardless of what discipline you come from, would say, this is what I think, and this is how I'm going to do this. This is my solution. Take it one step further and say, how does this impact the engineering side, the operation side, the customer, right? Uh, I mean, all of those things. Uh, I think if everyone started having that mindset, then it's actually reaching out to bridge those gaps. And then you can come and collaborate together. So the perspectives can get pulled together and you'll have that diversity of perspective that allows you then to, to make these more holistic decisions. Um, but it's, it's sort of a, um, uh, I don't know, a habit or, or a mindset. Um, I've, I've done this, you know, as, as I was growing up in my career, I've always looked at the impact of what the next step is that I'm going to take versus learning from what I just took to see what impact it had, just so that each step that you take forward in the process um, incorporates that kind of, of systems approach that bridges gaps as you go along. And, and it's, it's, um, you know, it's something that needs to be sort of trained or, or embedded somewhere in, 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 um, in frameworks um, that, that I'm, I'm not really seeing, but it's implied in asset management, definitely. So, um, yes, hi. I am so excited by this. I could not stop myself. Um, the, uh, the need for asset managers, I think, could be met if women in asset management took over the world. Um, <laughs> basically, there is this huge uh, supply of potential asset managers who have the uh, ability to uh, uh, multitask and think holistically. And I would like uh, you to talk you and Amy to talk about that. And um, the other thing is the transportation and specifically transit has so much uh, ability to help with equity. And you had mentioned the ability to use the IIJA funds to help with the equity issue. Alexa brought that up. And um, the mayor of Boston, uh, a woman has made lines uh, 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 transit lines available for free, certain bus lines. She ran on that campaign and they're working in Boston already uh, to, to use transit to improve equity. So uh, I'd love it if uh, you had anything further to say about women in asset management and trans, the IIJA funds uh, for transit to improve equity. Uh, 
Amy, do you want to go first on women in asset management since you are? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so women in asset management, um, our primary purpose is, well, we have multiple purposes is to create a network, a community of really, I know it's called women in asset management. It's not just women because we need men <laughs> to have actual equal and equitable representation. Yeah. It requires everybody. Um, but, but yeah, creating this network and mentoring each other, and this is across sectors, and I think goes back to the point that we were talking about earlier. Um, there's a lot that transit can learn from power. There's a lot of um, things that that power can learn from transit. There's, you know, so so we're creating this space where we're we're mentoring and supporting and enabling that next generation of asset management leaders in that space. Um, I. I also wanted to, to just take the opportunity to talk a little bit about um, something that um, Alexa talked about earlier about the why and something that we talk a lot about, you know, in women in asset management is, is that concept of systems thinking and really understanding who you're impacting. Some one of the things that we've landed on more recently at the IAM is that it's really more about the process that we go through and it's not about the document. It's not about the plan that we're, you know, putting out there. So I think this all goes back to, you know, systems thinking and we can train people to be good systems thinkers. We should be training everybody in the C-suite to be a systems thinker. I would argue you probably shouldn't even be in the C-suite if you can't think holistically and systems wide. Um, so we're, we're very much talking about that. How do we train our next generation of, of women asset managers to be those strong systems thinking leaders and, and again, creating that community to support each other. And I thank you, Amy. And I think, we, you know, we've been fortunate here in um, North America that, you know, you see a lot more women. Uh, I mean, at least I do. Um, in, in asset management and really leading asset management. Um, I know that, you know, hearing from, you know, other uh, regions in the world, um, it's, it's still predominantly a male dominated um, industry. I mean, because just naturally speaking, just like we're, we're promoting STEM, like for women, like young girls just going through and, 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 and focusing more on those disciplines and encouraging them to, to take those on. I mean, I, and asset management is traditionally born out of, you know, the technical fields, right, of engineering, maintenance, IT. Um, and so when we when we think about, you know, um, asset management in general, um, women women are uh, are getting getting more and more representation i mean I, I, and i've attended a lot of um conferences for example and while still majority are men you could just start i'm starting to see the growth in in women representing the discipline which i think is is um there's a very very good sign um so when it comes to equity you know so i mean you could look at equity in terms of you know equity in terms of gender you know representation well but you can also look at it in equity of allocation which i i like the um i mean that I, I did hear about that, um, the mayor of Boston doing the free transportation, I think it's on the buses, I believe, uh, in, in certain areas because the bus routes, I mean, they are the ones that are, that are traditionally serving uh, whatever the under, underprivileged areas, you know, and when people, um, you know, people really can benefit and 
from that. And, and so I, I thought it was a great thing. Um, I know that um, just in the planning process for, for transportation routes, you know, I, the, the operations teams across different organizations, you know, transit agencies, I mean, they do take that into account. And, and maybe now with that emphasis on equity through IIJA and, and, and other means, um, agencies are cognizant of promoting, you know, better distribution and allocation of their services, right? The question of, oh, we have to take this out of service because we have to maintain this assets, we have to do an overhaul here, but the impact on the community, right? We have to find alternative options for those folks to be able to have, you know, similar or close to similar um, services. That thinking has evolved really. It, 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 it's, you know, at the time that I left my, my former place of employment, uh, they were really focused now on services, the community and how to make that equitable. And, and I think that um, it, is, it is definitely a very good sign uh, because before those biases, and I know Amy started off the, the discussion with, you know, traditional biases in making investment decisions, right? And they tend to be more technical, condition-based, right? But now it's really evolved to include all these other things that, uh, such as equity um, in, in, in the way that we think, in the way that we are making investments. So I, I do believe that the, the, the infrastructure bill and, and the investments that it will fund is, is, is going to result in these transformative outcomes, right? Um, we just have to make sure that we are helping communities along to better understand what it means, right? Like how can we make it better? So there are places where there is a gap wherein you need better understanding on how to, how to be uh, more equitable in your distributions and allocations of services and, and, and making investments. But then there are also many other places wherein they're very progressive and they're there. So it's really sort of leveling the playing field by providing you know, the information, education, training um, to everyone um, and forums like this wherein people can listen and hear about what people are doing and best practices so that you know, we can then generate um, sort of, you know, this, this mass um, thinking um, that, is, that is much more um, strategic, um, connected systems thinking and um, better asset management that's, you know, sustainable uh, and resilient for our assets um, moving forward. Amy, are there any equity uh, plans that uh, you're implementing? Yeah, several actually. So, so speaking about fares, um, we've had a lot of conversation about fair equity and fair enforcement in particular. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with Sound Transit, we don't have barriers within our transit system. So there are no turnstiles. Um, and so, so we do have the possibility of folks going on the transit system without tapping their ORCA card on the, the card reader before they, they get on paying their fare essentially. And so we, for a while there, we did have folks um, that were similar to law enforcement um, enforcing fares on the, on the um, trains. And so that raised some questions of equity and whether people of color were being um, targeted um, as, as you know, violating um, you know, the fare requirements. 
So, so we've had a lot of conversation, significant workshops and conversations um, with community members to come up with, with an appropriate solution of how do we equitably address fares at Sound Transit and in the region. In addition to that, we've also just launched what we call our racial equity tool. Um, so this is a toolkit that we use to, in all of our decision-making processes, in particular, the, any decisions related to um, our system expansion work, things for us to think through systematically to ensure that the decisions we're making are equitable decisions for our communities. And, and so that toolkit includes things like a lot of information about who our communities are, demographics, need, like what Mildred was talking about, where's the greatest need. And um, so, so yeah, we're really embedding it, embedding um, equity within our, our decision-making processes across the board. And like I said, um, supporting that with some really useful tools. Excellent, thank you. Mildred, what did you uh, uh, see in terms of equity when you were at uh, MTA? What, what initiatives were you involved with? You're, you're uh, muted. Um, in the planning process um, for, for capital programs, for example, there is a real emphasis on um, accessibility of, of stations because a lot of the stations in New York, uh, you know, they're very old and, you know, access to the disabled is, is very, very, very difficult. You have stairs, some of them don't even have elevators, you know, so there was a big emphasis definitely in this current capital program to plan for um, you know, investing in stations, right? Um, in the, especially in those areas wherein they know that the population uh, really needs them. Um, so I know that there was a very um, specific focus uh, of the planning of that capital program to really address that. So that's for equity with, um, with a certain segment of our customer base. Um, and I remember with um, cash stoling implementation for, for bridges and tunnels, um, you know, there are customers who definitely, um, you know, did not want their EC pass um, accounts, you know, they were unbanked. And so you have to provide for, for those folks in, in terms of how they're going to make their payments. Um, you also don't want them to be penalized by, you know, the technologies that read your plates and then all of a sudden you get a violation and, and how do you handle that? Well, they're unbanked. Therefore, they're definitely going to be those people that are going to be flagged. You know, how do you address that? And so there were there were definitely strategies put in place to sort of alleviate, you know, the, the impact um, on, on those segments of the population. So it, it is something that I think, you know, an organization like the MTA has, has focused on over time, but um, definitely has also evolved to become better at it um, as they begin focusing more and more on service delivery, the impact on the customer. I think that has become much and much more um, focused on uh, in, in recent times than in the traditional processes that they've had, you know, maybe a decade ago or even five years ago. Excellent. Uh, Alexa, what are your transportation clients uh, requiring? I know that the Atlanta Airline Terminal Company, which uh, Jacobs helped become ISO 55001 certified, 
had a big focus on uh, vertical transportation, escalators, elevators, in order to ensure movement. But are you seeing, what are you seeing in terms of equity and transportation from your clients? Well, it's a it's a huge area of focus and more so now than ever before. And I think that also is not only coming just kind of with the 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 change in the you know kind of in society and the kind of the, the kind of type of dialogue that we're having um, uh, within and across our society, but also with um, the Biden Harris administration as well that you know for as part of IHA um, IHA funding that, uh, you know, social equity is a big aspect of um, when you're actually applying for funding and, and applying for grants, but they really want you to look at how are you addressing issues of social equity within your plan. Um, and so that has been a big change from prior um, grants uh, that have been issued in the past. And so I think it is this, this opportunity to really create a much more proactive uh, and engaged dialogue amongst all of our transportation clients as it relates to what is the type of infrastructure that they need to be putting in place, um, where, you know, where might they need to add some additional infrastructure, and then how can they really leverage this, you know, kind of new, frankly, you know, kind of lifetime injection of stimulus to really help achieve um, those kinds of outcomes that they just never have been before. So I do think there's, you know, there's a number of different um, ways that our clients are, are addressing it, um, whether it's from, a, you know, kind of just new locations, new infrastructure that's being put in, whether it's thinking about um, uh, changes from an accessibility perspective, you know, at, um, to those uh, pieces of infrastructure. So as you mentioned, you know, kind of vert some of those um, vertical people movers, you know, elevators, escalators, things of that nature that haven't been embedded before, but also how do we think differently from just an equity perspective? How do people actually access um, that? And, and what does that mean from a funding and financing strategy too, um, whether it's the example in Boston or what Amy was just talking about too, in terms of who's, who actually has access to this infrastructure? How do we, um, how do we um, support ongoing equity in terms of enabling that access to infrastructure. So there's a number of different ways that our clients are really looking at this question. But I do think that, you know, the change in administration has also been putting a very um, forward thinking lens on this, uh, on this particular question. I love that forward thinking. Uh, thank you. And Jim Dieter, uh, ALM CEO, has always demanded that the ALN have a more equitable, inclusive approach. And he's Raising his hand, he wants to jump in here. So please, Jim. Yeah, it's a it's a selfish concern uh, to a degree. Uh, we've been had a, a meeting this morning, in fact, at seven a.m. of the uh, working group four, four working on the revision to ISO fifty five thousand. Which, if anybody hasn't heard of that, it'll be a couple of years before it's out. But I'm leading the work on the principles section, and in the twenty fourteen version, there was four fundamentals, lava, if you remember them. Uh, and to this point, we've added three additional ones on integration, adaptability, and sustainability. Uh, you know, we had a process to, to come up with those. Uh, the, what I've suggested as of today to that group 
is that the time is now to add equity as one of those principles. Uh, I don't see, you know, it's a considerate, it's not, we get the, the thoughts of people that we're telling us what to do. No, we're just telling us, you need to think about equity. Is you just, it's a consideration. How can you not think about it? You know, very much what we just heard in this discussion. Uh, surprisingly, some people still have a hard time getting their head around uh, what that would might, what that might mean. But I'm wondering if anybody uh, has a, uh, a one sentence uh, or ideas toward a one sentence principle about equity for ISO 55,000 asset management. Well, it's we'll hard let, to get it simple. Yeah, we'll let people kind of mull that. That's uh, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln wrote the letter to his wife saying, Mary, this letter would be shorter if I had more time to write it because to get things short, you got to really think about it. Um, if anyone sure. wants to jump in and has something right off the top of their heads, please. Well, I'm no Abe Lincoln, and I, I don't have a single sentence, but uh, one thing I would mention is there's definitely an intersection uh, between asset management, equity, and sustainability. And like one of the uh, sustainability frameworks I think that's really interesting out there right now is uh, uh, from the Institute of Sustainable Infrastructure, this Envision framework, right? Um, and for anybody who uses that framework in terms of project delivery, what you'll see is like asset management is threaded throughout that uh, set of criteria. It, we just don't call it that often, right? So again, asset management principles we're really seeing in terms of like, how do we increase well-being uh, well and access for communities? How do we increase access to services? This is all the fundamental level of service stuff that, that we have to do at the beginning of the whole, the whole process. Yeah, Robert, Envision is something our organization um, is looking to get certified to as we deliver um, segments of our new system. And because I'm, I'm a nerd and I like patterns and puzzles, I, I did a mapping of Envision to the 39 subjects of asset management in the IAM. Um, and you're right, it's, it's all over. It's completely interwoven. Well, Amy, I think I've got a guest speaker for next September then in this fundamentals course. Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, we've been joined by uh, Jesse Rothkoff. Uh, Jesse was instrumental in having LCE become an ALN member, and he's now at Stellar Systems, but he's got quite a bit of transportation experience. He's worked with Mildred and uh, wanted to uh, uh, let Jesse give a, a little uh, comment about what he's been seeing and add on uh, what he thinks is uh, important. Uh, thank you. Um, I thought today's conversation was fantastic. Um, Robert, uh, you, you, you touched on sustainability and um, also, you know, everybody, Mildred, you were, you were speaking about uh, a little bit about transformation. Uh, to me, uh, some of those things come together equity as well as parts of uh, resilience. Uh, when you look at asset management and you tie in resilience to, to the asset management program, you can um, look at your asset management plans, your uh, asset class strategies, and start to build in resilience into each one of those. And if you do, uh, it forces you to take a look at 
um, sustainability for one thing. Uh, resilience can be sustainability of the asset, but it could also be from a transformational point of view, sustainability from the knowledge and the competencies within the organization. Um, so it forces you to look at both of those. And equity is also a form of uh, resilience and sustainability. If you're not serving those communities, sooner or later, you're going to have a problem uh, either with funding or with something else. So um, touching on resilience in each one of these aspects of your asset management plan uh, can help you to, to address those things. So um, Jesse, what are you, uh, uh, what type of transportation uh, activities are you involved with uh, now at Stellar Systems? All right. um, sure, yeah, um, we're doing a little bit of work still with uh, New York MTA, Long Island Railroad, uh, New Jersey Transit, WMATA, uh, VIA down in San Antonio, Texas, uh, and quite a bit of work with MARTA in Atlanta. Um, some of, a lot of what Stellar is doing is, you know, you, you look at asset management and it's really about the people, the processes, the, phys, uh, the physical assets and the technology, how uh, the technology can help bring all those into alignment. Um, Stellar's really focused primarily on the technology piece. So we, we kind of insert ourselves to that piece that didn't work with uh, uh, organizations like the customers and Jacobs and other firms uh, to help uh, expand that out to bring into alignment. Are you seeing equity uh, discussions? Uh, um, I haven't seen too much of that come up yet uh, on, on the projects uh, with Stellar. Now we, we, we've talked about it on uh, ALN and from a point of view, um, the, the, the one place that we do see equity coming up from a technology point of view is on perhaps on paratransit and working into a single fare system that goes across multimodal classes of transportation. There, we really need to do uh, as a community a better job of trying to find an equitable solution for uh, that class of riders, uh, but haven't seen much of it yet from an equity point of view. Yeah, technology can play a big role in, in that, so that would be good. Robert, uh, in our pre-event uh, talk, you really excited me uh, about your work with the uh, uh, Native uh, Americans. Uh, can you talk about how you're bringing equity to them through their asset management and how it's a different uh, approach to asset management uh, with different uh, client types? Well, so... Um... Yeah, like up here um, in Canada, of course, there's a large number of First Nation communities um, across the country. And in these Indigenous communities, um, you know, one of the big challenges has been that uh, historically infrastructure decisions uh, haven't been made with uh, consideration for local context. So it's these are very small, very isolated communities uh, often. And, um, and as a result, you know, your, your standard build up hard infrastructure um, doesn't actually work because the communities are, are very small and it's non-viable to, you know, build a big water treatment plant um, for a community of, let's say, 100 people uh, out in, you know, 
hundreds and hundreds of uh, kilometers away from uh, from any other existing asset network. Um, so there's a whole host of challenges in terms of uh, delivering services um, in these communities. And it's not just Indigenous communities, it's any small community that's, uh, that's rural or remote. And so, as I say, one of the one of the issues from an asset management practice is, you know, if we can say applying quote unquote big city approaches to how you're actually going to do life cycle costing um, in these communities is, is kind of inappropriate, right? Uh, the total volume of the assets managed is very small, um, you know, so you're not going to come in and, you know, implement a giant SAP implementation with Maximo um, to look after three and a half miles of dirt road and, uh, you know, a standpipe reservoir. Um, so it, it really requires a lot more capacity building in the community because someone actually has to run this asset management program after everybody's gone. Um, it requires a lot of stakeholder engagement to ensure that appropriate levels of service are being built. It, it's just a completely different kit and caboodle to, uh, to make this work. And, and kit and caboodle is an official term. But the, the issue of capacity building and engagement is consistent because whether it's a hundred person community or a hundred thousand, water is really important to everybody. And it needs to, you need to make sure that that's working right. So um, thank you for that. Um, the impetus for this summit has been to try to uh, generate discussion that can help guide federal agencies to write rules and regulations that will allow the Infrastructure Investment and Job Act funds to be spent in a way that corrects mistakes of thinking and approach that had previously existed. Uh, we want the more holistic approach that has been talked about here. So thank you for bringing that up. We want the more equitable approach that uh, has been mentioned here. So thanks again for that. I know that people, not everyone here can speak to the IIJA. So we're not going to ask everybody to comment on this, but uh, as we wrap up this session and um, wrap up the summit, I, I would like to ask Alexa and Jesse and Robert and then finally Jim to see, to say what we can say to our legislators and our, well, we've missed the legislators, they've already handled it. Now it's on to the federal agencies who are writing the rules and regulations. Now, if you could say some things that <clears throat> we will try to message to them about how to write rules and regulations to include holistic approach to asset management and equity. Alexa, can we start with you? Sure, I'll jump in. Uh, so a, a couple of thoughts there. I think the more that we can encourage really that idea of holistic systems thinking and thinking of the outcomes and the outcomes as being not just one-off in terms of economic development, but thinking about outcomes from a resiliency perspective, from an equity perspective, from a social, um, from a social value, from a community building, economic development perspective, um, environmental sustainability perspective, the more that we can encourage 
um, uh, guidance to be formulated around all of those, that multifaceted approach, I think that is something that's really, really important. The other thing that I would just say, you know, kind of food for thought is that this is an opportunity again for us all to think outside the box. Um, and, you know, how can we start to potentially bundle infrastructure improvements together at the same time so that we're not necessarily doing, you know, a water main replacement at one point and having to rip up the road and then we're doing a natural gas line replacement and then we're doing a cyber, you know, kind of some cyber um, replacement or install under that same piece of road and potentially, you know, kind of ripping up that road three times. How can we start to bundle those kinds of infrastructure improvements together so that we're acting more nimbly and leveraging our dollars in a much more efficient manner than potentially we ever were before. And that, I think, is that kind of cross, whether it's cross department or cross agency thinking that I think also can be very much encouraged um, through the writing of, you know, kind of future um, legislation or, uh, you know, kind of how to leverage these infrastructure dollars moving forward. Thank you. Robert, uh, you were in on the international uh, panel that preceded this. So you get to represent the, the rest of the world and uh, give advice to the US on how to spend uh, the IIJA funds. Wow, that's a, that's a weighty responsibility here. Um, as I say, I think that the number one thing as, as leaders in asset management is really, again, to you know, we all have fairly tight relationships with departments of transportation, um, with uh, city public works departments and, and things like that. So I think just a continuous emphasis that, yes, it's awesome to receive infrastructure funding, but it's non-optimal to spend that infrastructure funding unless you have an asset management process or system in place beforehand. Um, that's really what we have to constantly encourages folks have to budget for the asset management system up front. This can't be a thing that's bolted on at the at the back end. And that's uh, where we're at right now. We're still in the upfront uh, process. Uh, Jesse, I don't know if uh, you're still available. Um, I would like to say that uh, uh, the Federal Transit uh, Administration has done a very good job, actually the best in the United States, of linking uh, asset management language to legislation, training, and then uh, implementation. And the other agencies should look to them and require an asset management plan in order to get funds. If I had my uh, rathers, that would be the way I would uh, put things. So, um, uh, Mildred and Amy, I know you can't talk about uh, IIJA, but if you would like to uh, make uh, some closing comments before we go to Jim Dieter. Amy? Yeah, I'll go ahead and jump in. Um, just, you know, reiterating the things that we talked about today. My key takeaway is, you know, the next generation or asset leaders really need to be systems thinkers, thinking holistically and using that systems approach to focus in on the outcomes. What are we delivering? And not just the outcomes right after the ribbon cutting, but the outcomes 30, 50 years from now, right? Let's, let's start thinking about generations ahead um, and making decisions about those future generations. That's what I would hope for. 
from asset leaders. Excellent, thank you. Mildred? Oh, you're still muted. It, it didn't, you're still muted. There you are. Okay, yes, no. Um, so I just wanted to reiterate the fact, again, piggybacking over what Amy had just said about connected systems thinking, how important that is, but that asset management is is such a diverse discipline of disciplines. Like there's, there's just, everybody is really involved in asset management and that bringing those different perspectives together is really what makes it worthwhile, right? For, for everyone to actually see um, how they can deliver on those outcomes, transformational outcomes. Um, I, I think that capability building uh, should include like reaching out to all the different types of stakeholders that we have out there um, so that you can bring them to the table. Um, I don't know how um, we can actually, because it costs money to build these training programs, these capability programs. So in some ways you have to justify it just as another investment, you know, investment in people, investment in capabilities, uh, because that's usually the first thing to get cut in a budget is, is a capability building program or a training program, uh, which is why we always find ourselves taking, you know, one step forward, two steps backward uh, throughout a cycle of implementation for asset management programs. So I really think that leaders, um, leaders need to understand uh, the importance of building the capability in your organization, because that is what's going to make you sustainable in the long run uh, and be more effective at managing your assets. Great, thank you. And, and thank you, Mildred, for uh, organizing this uh, thank panel you. and for jumping on as an ALN board member and senior fellow and your linkage to the Institute of Asset Management, because so all of the associations need to collaborate together to uh, outpace the world of problems we're facing together. And Jim. This is our first uh, summit. Uh, we had uh, an annual program for many years and we had too much material in the short period. Of time, so we wanted to spread it out over uh, the four quarters. And uh, what do you yeah, think? What, well, what a great array of speakers and, and content and, and ideas is, is truly remarkable. And Mike, thanks, thanks to you for pulling it together and Nick for coordinating the technology. Uh, what I wanted to say is, uh, you know, we need to get to action, which is, you know, as Mike said, is our motivation, what can we do? Uh, and I think you know, what strikes me is one of the first things we did at ALN was get a group together to work on a draft executive order. So that was 2013 or 14 or something. Uh, and we had a bunch of people work on it. And then Jack Dempsey uh, used to be of Jacobs, now of Definitive Logic. Uh, took that to uh, a finished product. Uh, and it's got broad circulation and you know there was some interest in it, but obviously didn't make it to be a, uh, a an executive order. Uh, but I, I think it's time to resurface that and see if we need to polish it up a bit with our newer ideas, because uh, it could serve either as an executive order or language uh, for draft legislation or draft uh, regulation from uh, an agency perspective. Uh, so I think we might uh, ask uh, some of the people on the, that have been involved in this summit, if they're interested in reviewing or having any comments on that draft executive order, 
and that uh, we make an effort to give it broad circulation as, as one thing that we can do moving forward. Uh, as, as Mike has said, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, we have a real uh, opportunity because we have a solution. Uh, most people are coming with a problem, we come with a solution. And I, uh, I think I said yesterday, when I, I'm on LinkedIn and see all the people from Canada and Australia who have a title of asset manager, I'm just in awe. I'm now a LinkedIn uh, connection with, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of them. Uh, and I'd love to see that be happen in the United States. And I think the path to that is some sort of uh, government action uh, that's going to require those asset management plans or something similar, strategic asset management plans, hopefully, uh, and that that will drive getting a lot more expertise in organizations, uh, both as direct hires and uh, having organizations help them. Uh, so I think you all have uh, contributed a lot to all of that. And uh, well, just thanks a lot. Thanks for participating. And thanks to everybody who was able to join uh, today and, uh, and hear what we have going on. We always say, uh, ALN's goal isn't uh, is impact more than the huge numbers, but uh, our numbers keep growing uh, and our impact has been uh, remarkable uh, to this point and uh, promises to be even more so going forward. Well, excellent. Uh, uh, Nick, if you can uh, bring up the slides, uh, uh, that was a great way to end, but we also want to say thanks to our patron members and to our organizational members. And thank you to Michael Hardy, senior fellow who gave us a round of applause and uh, really appreciate uh, everything uh, that all the speakers have uh, contributed and appreciate the audience. And again, tomorrow we're gonna to put uh, Michael Demers on the spot to uh, talk about uh, uh, how all of this ties up. So please join us tomorrow at three for ALN Thursday at three. And uh, thank you all, bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.